one. Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about our last June Dairy Month podcast. So we'll have some treats for the guys here. You're going to talk water management and field crops. We've been experiencing some dryness this year. Spotlight, we'll look at some new spraying technology. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the history of ice cream. Cool Beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events. And that'll wrap it up. So <clears throat> with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilties out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Well, we, we got a little bit last weekend, a little bit of rain here and there, some some scattered stuff up to like half inch, I think. Some places I had got over an inch, yeah. inch and a half, yeah. so. But it soaked in really quick. Oh, yeah. You could hardly tell. Yeah. It was gone. Like, the the remnants was gone within a couple of days. At least around here, it wasn't even enough to wake up the grass. It's all pretty. No, you're right. It, yep. The dormant grass still looks like August, so. But that may be about to end. So we're recording this on Thursday morning, watching to the north of our office here as storms are rolling through. So maybe maybe we'll get a little more rain. This is Storm Team Tilth. Oh. Do you have like one of those weather trucks, Max? <laughs> You're gonna just I mean, gonna I can. Do you have a weather sounder? That, that, there has been more than one truck that I have ridden in that said Tilth Agronomy on the side that has gone headfirst into tornado <laughs> warning. <laughs> Got to get like a little anemometer on the top and... It is really blue out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a heck of a color. And I've been watching a little flashing going on, so definitely. But that's how it's lighting. been all spring. It's like you see the yeah. rain in the distance. A lot of you see a lot of rain. lightning, and then we'll s- you don't, don't know count who really gets it. Don't count until it's in the rain it. gauge. Right. Yep. Hey, that's a good statement. Is that an egg idiom? It's just like don't count it before it's in the bin. Don't count it until it's in the rain gauge. Don't count your eggs before they're hatched. We don't care how much is in the gauge, just have some in the gauge. At, at this, this point, point we yeah, really don't we care. We just need something, yeah. I just I just worry, like, these big storms that, you know, we get hail and all that, and then we just I did see some, trash well, and all of what we We're going to talk about that through Cool Beans. That's corny okay, a little so bit. Okay, so I won't say it, because I think I know. Alert. Yeah, I, yeah okay. <laughs> I saw some things, so. You did? Yeah. yeah. We'll save it for Cool Beans. That's corny. Luckily, not too much around here, but some of our neighbors experienced some some nasty stuff. Nastiness. Doreko's back. Oh, geez. (laughs) I'll talk about that again. But hey, the other night, Bucks came back for the win in OT to move on. But last night, not a great start. They won the other night. They won. Well, they got to overtime the other night by a toe. Right. I was literally. literally I was not watching the game. I was on my phone, like doing the ESPN app. And I thought the game was over because it's like, oh, yep, they, three. they just got a three. It's done. Then I checked a little bit later, and it was like, wait, they're an OT? How did that happen? Like, and then I, later I saw, yeah. That they said Durant wears shoes bigger than what he should. Like, game shoes are bigger than his normal ones. They said it wouldn't have. He would have to be like five sizes lower. Oh, and sure. He wears like a 15. Sure. To matter that much. but Right. Yeah, so that that was that was awesome. Especially right before that, the Bucks almost had like a Brian Bostic scenario where oh my god, yeah. Brooke Lopez, Lopez yep. yeah, the, like what three seconds left on a shot clock, and they doing? had the inbound the game and, clock. No, that well the shot clock when we had the shot clock violation. Oh, sure. Where he got the inbound and then just like turned around and 
tried passing it, shot clock violation. Even if he had thrown up, like thrown up any shot, then would be better yeah. than what he did. It was, it was super weird. And he, Brooke Lopez is was the is the leading all time franchise scorer for the Brooklyn Nets. I didn't realize he really? was with the Nets double before. agent on Saturday. Yeah, so wow. he was trying to throw the game for us. <laughs> but he did end up winning. He had a really good block in OT, and he, he 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 was. He started the game hot too. I mean, Giannis is awesome, night. but it's these secondary guys right. that are. It's when Middleton and Holiday have good games, and that was the one thing watching it on the app. Like you see the point breakdowns, and we look at Brooklyn. It was all like Durant. He had yeah. forty some points, and Giannis had I think forty some that night too. But all the other guys had like there was like twenty, fifteen. Like it wasn't just one guy. Whereas Brooklyn's box score was like guy. one guy. That's, that's why I feel like. Beating the Hawks is not going to be that big a deal because Trey Young can't score forty eight every yeah. night. He can't. He's electric, awesome to watch. Trey Young cannot score forty eight every night. I refuse to believe it. And the Bucks in the Hawks game played terrible. Like they they couldn't make a bat. Middleton didn't make any three. He was like zero for nine on wow. threes. So he didn't when, score till the second half. I don't think. Yeah. So when when a player like that's just cold and Trey Young is super hot, it, it's. Just how that game. But Drew started. played well. Drew, Drew played, played really, really well. well last yeah, night. he's the only one. Yeah, even rebounding, was. even rebounding. The Bucks usually are a very good rebounding team, and they couldn't. They just, yeah, I think sounds like they got outworked. Yeah, young, I, you, young, scrappy team. First but, game of the but series. But you knew it was going to be a letdown. At, you know, an OT oh, yeah. win against against the team you thought would basically beat you know the beat beat Brooklyn Nets that beat you out and everybody thought would win. I hoped we were going to boat race the Hawks first game and it was just going to be the series was going to be over last night. But I realistically I knew we probably were just going to lose by a couple and then gentlemen sleep. Yeah, I mean it it, <laughs> it ended close. I mean it was a one point. Oh, we were win. winning with I 2 mean, minutes left. Yeah. It's not Yeah, they were up by 4 with 2 minutes and then couldn't get a bunch of rebounds and yeah. so it was it was Good game that way. That the Bucks played hard too. It was, yeah. they just wasn't their night. They said in Pfizer it wasn't that electric either. Like even the fans seemed to be kind of sure, kind of blah. Like it was like just some random Wednesday night type of crowd. It wasn't like a play. But I saw Bakhtiari pounded beers. So why yeah. would that not? And Aaron Jones was there again. Again, so. yeah, but it was you could hear it on TV. Like I was watching on TV and I was like, this isn't like I expected more because I watched Saturday night in Brooklyn. Like it was crazy how loud they were on TV. They were not that loud. It was like watching the Bucks play on a Wednesday night in February. It was mm-hmm. quiet. You'd think with like full capacity of... Because they're at full capacity, yeah. right? Like you'd think that we're back in it. Like people would be jacked to be there, but apparently not. All right, you guys ready to taste some frozen, frozen? treats before they turn into soup? We're getting right. close. So today... To wrap things up, that will bring in some. Everything here could be categorized as ice cream, though that's not technically true. You know, when you say you go out for ice cream, there's any number of places you'll go that isn't really truly ice cream. So we've got four different cups here. So I want you to see if you can identify what they are. And there's, I got one surprise for you. Cheated a little bit on June Dairy Month. One is a non-dairy frozen treat. Ooh. But I will give it credit. It was labeled that way. It wasn't just labeled as, you know, such and such ice cream. It was a non, non-dairy 
frozen treat. That's not good when he tricks us with this because some of these are getting harder and harder to tell the difference. When you know it's the ice cream, though, it's... Matt tries to trick us anyway. Yes. So when he extra tricks us... I think I got one and two figured out. Are they all vanilla? Yep. Just to make it fair, they're all vanilla. Mm. Woof, the non-dairy is... (laughs) You can tell. I figured you would be able to. Yeah, you can definitely. Yeah, dairy with ice cream definitely has a very good. The consistency is always better. Like the, the sweetness is better. Yeah, it's. Are we talking froyos and frozen custards and? Well, <clears throat> there's no. I was gonna do froyo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Oh, you can tell. That's the yeah, non-dairy. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> no, the, that's not even close. <laughs> that's not good. That's really not good. I'm sorry. That's really not good. Wow. Ah. I think Max just threw up in his mouth a little bit. All right, bonus points if you can tell what it's made with instead of dairy. Oh. Is, See, it, is it made with like soy? There's like nope, what? not soy. Oh, ah, it tastes so bad. Yeah, I don't want to taste it again. If I don't, I'm going back to another one. Oh, I can't do that. Give you a hint. Is it eggs? Some no, it's the the biggest quote unquote milk substitute. Ooh, almonds. Yep, it's made with almond milk. Almond Show juice. Show me a kid on an almond. It's almond juice. <laughs> How do you, it is. You blend up the almonds and soak them. That's what almond milk really is. All right. What um, do you think, Max? I'm gonna go. Number one is like a. Like a blue bunny or yep, something. Yep, it is blue bunny. Yep. Uh, oh, hard, that's hard even. Food. Number two, that's going to be uh, Max dairy, is even dairy, going brand though here. Dairy Queen soft serve frozen yep. in your freezer overnight. Yep. Number three is Culver's vanilla frozen custard. And number four is non-dairy something. Yep. Favorite day is the brand. Non-dairy vanilla bean frozen dessert. Blue bunny is one of my favorite vanillas. Max crushed that. Yep. It's good, Max. I ate a lot of ice cream. Not knowing the first one was wasn't it wasn't as good as I remember Blue Bunny being, and the soft serve. How'd you get? That's like frozen in your freezer overnight. And yeah, then, so it was the custard. And, I right, both yesterday. Okay, because yeah, there ain't t- usually when you freeze soft serve and then like it's hard. Oh, it's like the worst. Yeah, you can just tell the dairy isn't as rich in the soft serve. That's that's the big difference, and. Well, three of the four of us in this room all live within a half mile of the Dairy Queen, so I can say that we, I can confidently say that we've all done the uh, get a blizzard that's too big, put it in the freezer, and eat it the next day. You don't forget that kind of no. You know exactly what frozen cus- or what soft serve put in the freezer. You know exactly what it's like the next day. Well, I think it makes a difference too when you have just soft serve versus like a blizzard or something mm-hmm. like that. It's still delicious. Mm-hmm. I'm happy I'm having ice cream for breakfast today. So all your cups, Max, are going to be empty except for non-dairy. That's bad. That's really not good. So, and it's a different color. It looks yeah, like vanilla like, bean. Like, like you like can brown, see the vanilla yeah. chunks in it, yeah. or the yeah the. Even the smell is kind of weird. Uh, I was going to try to do froyo, but there's only one place around that I know that has froyo. 
and it's like the buy by weight. Like you put all the toppings and stuff in, and then you you get it. And I didn't know if I'd be able to do just straight frozen yogurt. The Schwan- mm. Schwans used to sell. I think they probably still do sell some frozen yogurt. They might. Yeah. If the Schwans guy comes to your house. I don't know. If, is that a thing? Like everywhere? Oh, that's that, a thing. That, well, yeah, it's a it. it's a Minnesota based company, I believe. So I think it's more of a Midwestern thing. Did you guys have the Schwans truck come to your house when you were growing up? Oh yeah, Grandma's the best. Grandma, gr- grandma did, and then she got it for like. All the families. Yeah, my grandma was the one that got Schwann's usually, and I think my aunts might have too. My grandma's the Schwann's lady, and we could always put in our orders just so we didn't, it never came to our house. It just so we had our treats in her freezer and we could ride our bikes over Ooh. there. Yeah, so, Schwann's so she did that. Like, that was like a total reason you guys would come visit then, right? No, we basically lived there growing no, okay. up. <laughs> did she have like Wildwood soda or? No, no, not jelly, a lot of so- jelly good. Jelly good, and then Coke. Real oh, Coke. Great. Nice. And Barks Rup beer, man. Barks has bite. Yep. It's the only Rup beer with caffeine in it. Yeah. That's, what yeah. I like. <laughs> That's great to give kids. That's awesome. Barks Rup beer and Coke. Yep. And Schwann's classic ice cream bar, vanilla ice cream with chocolate. So, now that you know my entire childhood. Um, Perfect. What was, what was your favorite? Ice cream here or I, uh, frozen treat? Which one did you like the best, Bill? Um, probably the actually the Dairy Queen was pretty good. Matt, for me it's a toss up between Dairy Queen and Culver's. Yeah, the Culver's brought it. See, yeah. I went. It's Blue it's, Bunny. Is it Blue? But Blue Bunny Vanilla is like my all time like go to favorite. Blue Bunny Vanilla ice cream just hits every time. Doesn't miss straight up vanilla, or do you get like a different style? Straight up vanilla, and then I, you know, I throw a little magic shot on there every once in a while. Well, they have, I think, at least three different types of vanilla because this was the the homemade vanilla. Yep, that's what I thought Matt would throw us. He'd get like New York style or whatever the different styles are. Yeah, the the homemade vanilla, the traditional vanilla, and is it like it's not French vanilla, but there's another another type out there. So. But this is the homemade, quote unquote, homemade from the store. Homemade from the store. Yeah, there's French style. French vanilla, yeah. That's what I thought. New York style, Philadelphia style, apparently. Oh, I don't think I've ever had I, the Philly style vanilla. Does that just taste like beer and vomit? It's like it says, <clears throat> French style cheese is steak. Cheesecake. Cooked with cheesesteak. I don't know why it would oh, say cooked. Philly. <clears throat> French style, which is cooked custard made with egg yolks. In Philadelphia style, made with cream or a combination of cream and milk, but without eggs. So technically, mm. Culver's would be French style. Well, it'd be a cust- they're both custards. They yeah. might put eggs in. Uh, I don't know, egg yolks. Yeah, I don't know if Culver's has eggs in their custard or not. I don't believe so. I don't think so. Honestly, I would think they. Would but you almost have to because it's custard. The definition of custard is made with eggs, I right? Think, yeah, you have to. Yeah. I don't know. The first, when you Google that, it's does Culver's, and it it says ice cream have lactose, which oh. would have that, wouldn't yeah. it, for sure? Unless it's made with milk, too. Pasteurized egg yolks. There you go. In order to be custard, it has to be 1.4% egg. So which came first, the dairy or the egg? That I do not know. I do not know how to make custard. <laughs> I'm thinking the the egg. 
I'll have to ask my mother. Every, every <laughs> Christmas she makes custard. We so. need the egg to make the dairy, so think an egg. All right, fair enough. All right, well, there you go. There's our last <clears throat> dairy tasting for the month. Ooh. Sad. Yeah, it's hard Sad when to see June seemed to go fast. I know. Did, did you guys make any dairy breakfasts? No. I did not. Probably no, with, this week, yeah, no. Without a gamey not having one, that made it harder. Brown's was drive through which I heard just rave reviews about that it really? worked really good. Like, you drove through the barn, and then you drove, got your food, and you could leave, or they had, like, a tent, and you could go and park. So, and, and I figured it. that would go over really well. I just don't know long-term. Like, that's a lot of liability for the farm to have people driving I, through. That's and, what I said. I'm like, you drove through the barn? Like through the barn, and people, are like, yeah, like yeah, they drove the right down the center. But the yeah. problem is, what like, happens you, when they have it at a family farm that's milking hundred cows? Yeah, you like, can't drive, you through, drive there. through there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can. You just, everybody gets a go kart. Like, yeah, yeah, one, that's you a, know, a, one person who's had too many drinks does it every you know five years or so. Someone drives through there, but like, <laughs> yes, there's not a lane. No, specifically made for traveling through like the big barns. The education probably isn't as good. Well, huh? you don't see the parlor either. Yeah. You can't drive through a parlor easily. Well, is, so. is this weekend Sunday on the farm? I believe this yep. weekend left Shano. Shano's, and then I believe Leclerc down south as well. Fond du Lac counties is Leclerc, right? Yes. And Who has Shano counties? Yeah, it's skis, I think. The brunch on the farm. I think that was last. Thought that was last weekend. Kiwani's was on Father's Day. That was at Augustine Farms, right? Augustine. Augustine. They seem harder. This sounds weird, but they seem harder to find this year than other years of where I don't know if there's just less breakfast. That's probably part but, of it. I know but, uh, Wapaka County. They don't even do on on the farm anymore. They do a. They do it at the fairgrounds. Fair yeah. yeah, and they canceled that, I believe. Yeah, I mean. Why? Why do you guys like the fairgrounds thing, or is that just no? I mean, it's different. Cool. I mean, the whole idea of the other th- is to see the farm, the working farm, not right, not just eat the breakfast. I don't need to see the fairgrounds any more than I do. So, right, Matt, with your family doing it several years ago now, how did you feel the experience went? Um, I don't. <clears throat> it seemed to go well. I mean, I helped out when they did it, and. It's a lot of work for the farm to kind of get everything set. And then I did a like a milking game for kids. We, <laughs> they would come up and we had like a five-gallon bucket with nipples on it for teats. And then they'd have to see how fast they could milk a cow or at least experience what it would be like without actually having a real cow to milk. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be good. No. Somebody would get kicked and... That cow would just be beat by the end of the day with all the kids trying to milk her. Yeah, most cows are can be skittish enough having the same person milk them all the time, let alone yep. trying to get a crowd of, especially kids, running up, I want to squeeze. I will say it never ceases to amaze me when we, when I go to one of these like farm on-farm experience things, how removed some people are. Oh, it's oh, crazy. Yeah. Like just... No regard at all about like livestock, just running between legs of animals, and you're just like, "What is going on?" Yeah, I remember back in the <clears throat> days of showing at the fair, it seemed more people asked, like, "Hey, can I can I pet your cow?" or or you would offer, like, "Hey, you want to come over?" Like, she's laying down; it's fine. You can come. Whereas now, it just seems like people they just, just like go, go for yeah. it. Go. There's and, no. 
And if you, and if well, like they think there's like their pet dog, you know, right. like, hey, there's. Yeah, there's no, a 1,500 pound there. animal probably won't mind you sneaking up on it and just like jabbing it. In and the, the butt. The best part is, you know, if that cow would ever kick somebody who was acting like that, it would totally be your, your fault. fault. Yep. Wouldn't be the, the person who just came screaming into the barn. Well, you didn't have a sign up that said, I can't <laughs> touch your cow. Yeah. Yep. I saw, I was at an alpaca thing a couple weeks ago and it was <laughs> kind of like breakfast on the farm is alpaca shearing day and i just <laughs> alpaca breakfast it was cool like it was really cool i've never seen them shear alpacas from not seen them do sheep but there's just kids like i think they're a little bit better around cows because they're huge alpacas aren't that big right and there was kids that were just like everywhere and then somebody got knocked over and it was like oh my god like freaking out it's like well yeah control it's your an kid. animal like control it's your still, animals it's still an animal like watch out they spit and kick. Yeah, that was the thing. I saw one of the shearing ladies get kicked. For how small they are, they kick freaking hard. Oh, Holy yeah. buckets. They, like, that impact was... Whew. Anyway, really cool. So, <laughs> just like Breakfast on the Farm, really cool. I didn't realize there was, where was the shearing day. Uh, I was in um, between Clintonville and uh, New London. Oh, um, just south of Clintonville, really. Hmm. Yeah, so for the last call on Dairy Breakfast, there is just some happening the 26th of June and 27th. Yet yep. Racine, I like this one, Racine County Breakfast in a Bag. So that one's at the fairgrounds, <laughs> and they give you your breakfast. Buffalo County, Dunn County, This that one's a dairy drive through event. So a lot of them Who, doing drive through Who's hosting Dunn County? It's, it's just, oh. well... It says two different locations, Countryside Cooperative and Bear Creek Farms. So there must be two spots where you can drive through. And then June 27th, Sunday, Juno County, Colby Dairy Breakfast, Greenwood Dairy, Marinette County, at Hartwig Farm up mm. there. Shano, or, and, and then the brunch. one we, yeah, yeah. Shano was the brunch on the farm. And then we said LeClaire, that's Fond du Lac County. And Calumet County's got their Sunday oh, on the farm nice. at Woltz. And that's S U N D A E. Sunday on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And Chippewa County. So yeah, there's still quite a few left to go. So that's good. So if you want to. Get some farm breakfast, you have a chance. You're saying there's a chance. I mean, there's a chance. All right. Well, the other topic we were going to talk about today was water management and field crops. And with a dry year like we've had, can't always count on Mother Nature, but what are the alternatives? And there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not much we can do. There's no substitute for rain, huh? Well, they're substitutes. It's just it's not how, as good. how viable they are, yeah. Um, and so they never it, seem as good as rain. Even irrigation water, it's yeah. never, yeah, never it never same. works the same as rain water. We, have, we always have had to water the pumpkin patch by hand. We didn't have irrigation for that, you know. You're still and, watering it? No, nah, no pumpkins this year, man. Mm. We, little, little, we got a little stuff going on, so we'll, mm. maybe next year. But anyway, Grandpa always used to say, we can water it every day, but all we're doing is keeping it alive. We're not moving it forward. You need rain to move it forward. And I... To this day, still watching stuff that we're, you know, under pivots, I, I still think, like, yeah, when you're irrigating, you're keeping it alive, but you're not really yeah. pushing forward. Mm. It's an insurance thing. Yep. You're trying to keep it 
from dying. Just keep it alive. We're not gaining yeah. any yield by doing it. Don't die. Yeah. <laughs> please, please don't. Please, please don't die. <laughs> so, yeah, different soil types make a difference. Obviously, clay holds more water than sand. That's why we see a lot of irrigation on sand. Um, so what what can you do? No-till, and this is long-term no-till, not just one year of no-till, um, generally increases your water holding capacity, allows for a little bit better drought tolerance, hold on to that moisture a little bit longer. So <clears throat> not a, a one-year fix, not something you can just turn on and off. Uh, it takes years to get that going, so... Unless you're really planning on going no-till, that may not be the best option. Cover crops, obviously that's kind of a double-edged sword. Living plants are going to take up water, but at the same time, having that residue there is going to shade the ground, keep temperatures regulated a little bit more, and potentially mitigate loss of water. But there again, too, that's a planned thing. Got to have it in place. You can't just flip a switch. When it comes to the flip a switch out, Answer, then it's irrigation, like we said. Center pivot irrigation, traveling guns, drip irrigation. And now the people that brought you Yield 360 are bringing out Rain 360, which is a kind of a self-propelled watering tool. So basically you'd hook up a hose and it would unwind and water, then wind up the hose and go down to the next row or set of rows, I should say. It's not a one row at a time type deal. Basically looks like a giant wheel on wheels with some booms. Looks like a sprayer almost. Yep. And goes through your field and applies irrigation water or can also apply like fungicides, nitrogen, that kind of thing. So the thing with irrigation... Better, better plant straight though, it looks. Yeah, I... You wouldn't want, I don't know how well it handles like a curved field or mm-hmm. those fields with that jut out in every direction, sure. little fingers going this way and that, how well that, that would work. You pretty much need your straight rectangular or square 40s would be the best. Hey, even, even if you could just do your straight rows, that's a huge help. True. Yeah. Well, and even like pivot irrigation, you've got dryland corners. It's not a, it's more circular than it is. Yeah, they got corner arms on a lot of those that, you, you know, you add a lot of acres and you throw a corner arm on, and then the end gun shooting out too. It's amazing how even those can get some of those corners. And this this 360 rain, I heard about it years ago when they came out with it, and real interesting because the amount of water it takes to do it is really the, the toughest part, and it says it can do about 80 acres in a week is kind of how it reads, but I don't quite understand. How, well, how many, how much rain is that? It said it can do 2,000 gallons of water per week, which is equivalent to one inch of rain over 80 Two, acre- two million gallons. Not Sorry. 2,000 yeah, yeah. Two two yeah, gallons thousand. would be hard. <laughs> no, that, yes. That's <laughs> a long week. Yes. So, so it'd be an inch over an 80 acre field. So I guess if you did a half inch over 160 acres, maybe it could do that too, but. And then it looks like it has to go really slow, 0.45 miles per hour, which makes sense because yeah, you got to get yeah. enough water just out onto those crops. Yeah, 60-foot boom, so it does 24 rows. And it's a Y-drop style hose. They're so, probably using their 360 Y-drop system then, I would imagine. I would think that's, yeah, with the 
using deductive reasoning, we can determine. It would just make sense to not reinvent the wheel. And well, it also has an the, existing. If it's called the Y drop, what is it? Y drop three hundred and sixty, mm-hmm. and this is the three hundred and sixty irrigation thing. It's probably. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say. I think your limb is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, so the value of irrigation to your operation can be hard to justify, especially you know we're looking at a. We had a couple of really wet years last year. Was probably a little bit closer to a typical year we did get dry at the tail end but you know if you're getting a drought once every 10 years it's hard to justify the cost of of doing irrigation unless you can find another use for it so some farms i know are looking at leachate or manure irrigation Um, fertigation is pretty popular with guys with pivots todd i know you've had a lot of experience with that no that works great one of the best nitrogen use efficiency ways to put on nitrogen is through fertigation because then you got that moisture there for that plant to take it up even even when you're sort of spinning on urea or ams you can start up your pivot and get it you know washed into the ground and so we don't volatilize as much so it is very very helpful way to get nitrogen into that plant even more so sometimes i feel like the water is very helpful to keep it alive like you guys said but just as a nutrient delivery tool i use that a lot where we we you can put on more nutrients when the corn's uptake is higher later in the season and, and really use them that way. They, they work really well. And then this egg 360s or the, that'll be interesting if that could do manure or leachate through that system. And I have I, is, a farm that's interested in if they could do manure with it. Right. Like the water part is like, oh, that's kind of cool. But if that could do manure and you could do, Two million gallons of manure per week, you know, Ooh. delivered right to the row of the plant. Like that would be, or leachate, especially. I mean, leachate, especially, is real watery and would work really well to do it that way. So that is an interesting concept that way. Whereas when you set it for irrigation, like, yeah, that's for only doing 80 acres. I don't know. That'd be a lot of, if you had to buy multiple of these things to do that, and It'd be kind of hard, but if you look at it as a manure tool, well, maybe that would be extremely helpful and valuable. Yeah, it'd be an efficient way of getting manure out without having to really worry about <clears throat> the time of year. I mean, you could be doing it. You could be doing it any time, yeah. early, late. And looks to me like it's labor efficient. You know, you don't have a lot of folks having to manage it. Right, being manure, you'd have you'd want to have somebody watching it, but I mean, you wouldn't need three, four guys running the system. You'd probably have somebody running the agitator and somebody watching the field, and that's it. Keep traffic off the roads. So yeah, just a, a look at some possibilities, but like we said, every year is going to be different. Every soil is a little bit different. So we're not going to, at least historically speaking, we're not going to have a drought every year. It seems to be once every few years we get get dry. And Matt, do you think when we were talking about cover crops before, like when farmers choose cover crops to plant, do you think this comes into play at all as to what what the what cover crop they're planting as regards to what that crop would uptake in moisture like we're going to plant rye because it uptakes the most moisture and it's a wet field or we've been in a wet period or we're going to pick 
something else because we're in a dry period and we don't want it to to take up as much. Do you think there's any thought to that? I, I think some guys do. I mean, I know when we intercede, um, a lot of times we try to pick things that are going to be a little bit lower on the water use for situations like this, where you know you're growing a crop with a companion crop to your your row crop. You don't want it to be a weed. You don't want it to be competition and right. taking too much away from. Excuse me, from that plant, and I I do think if you have really wet fields, having yeah that cover crop in the spring to kind of pull up some of that moisture is is a good solution. So you know it can it can be a really great thing, or it can backfire on you if you have that that wetter field that in this situation where it's drier would do probably better without well it wouldn't necessarily need the cover crop because being drier it's it's probably ready sooner right. than it normally would be um but i think the the benefits outweigh the the potential risks when it comes to that i cuz i've seen we did some trials this spring on different time killing times of of rye sure and the amount of moisture that that guy takes is amazing mm-hmm. like the soil moisture we had in the ground that was available to the corn when we killed it right away at planting versus you know, waiting a week, or even we did some rolling where you roll or crimp the rye and then plant it into it. I mean, that soil was powder dry sure. from that extra month of letting that rye grow versus killing it at planting time. It was just just crazy. I just think that's something that we should think about when we're discussing oh, cover crops and which ones you want to choose to plant. Yeah, no, they all have different benefits in different ways and and. We can't predict the weather. We we can't really know that we're going to go into a drought. Right. But, um, yeah, depending on when you're terminating and how you're terminating, that can make a big difference in, in how much moisture that cover crop takes up. Whereas, yeah, two, three years ago, we, we wanted it to take more. <laughs> like, please, right. just keep going. Maybe we should just let it grow, not even terminate it. I don't know. So there you go. There's some thoughts on water management and your field crops. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So Eggco, in collaboration with Bosch, BASF, and Raven, is looking at targeted spraying technology that could significantly reduce herbicide use in crops and on fallow ground. So they're in a proof-of-concept phase, with targeted spraying, a technology that would apply crop protection products more effectively and efficiently by reducing crop input costs while driving farm and environmental sustainability, according to AgCo. So basically trying to target spray versus doing the entire field. I know we've, we've had guys experiment with that on nitrogen applicators. Todd, one of the guys you work with put a spray rig on his nitrogen applicator where you can flip a switch and you know, if he sees green, spray stuff off. But this would be, I think, a little bit more advanced technology. Yeah, these will be neat where we put down a pre-emerge herbicide and then on your post application, it's not like spot spray or scattered weeds. It's just the sprayer drives across and when it sees that green vegetation, it it turns out, I, I wonder what you'd put in the tank, if it's like a Roundup status, both, or if it's, and then the other part is how to pressurize that boom the whole time. Right? Sure. 
because you guys have seen that too where you know you start a field and it takes time for everything to charge up and the balloons to be charged and so how this technology would do that i don't i don't know you gotta have a sensor on every nozzle yeah and you you need a lot of sensors you'd think yeah I, i would think you'd have at least every two, if not every nozzle itself, would have. Well, and you wonder if you needed like ahead of the nozzle enough so that the nozzle has time to. That's all I could see here is having the sensor like right there. The nozzle can't turn on quick enough, and you spray six inches in front <laughs> right. of the, or behind in front in front of the plant behind the plant. Anyway, you miss the plant by six inches. Sure. And with Roundup, that doesn't really help you very much. No, no, that's. Probably why they're in the proof of concept phase, right? To see if it's actually viable. See if it'll work. I know, what was it? Uh, it's blue something with a hooded sprayer. They've kind of been playing with that too. Um, well, that John Deere bought them. Wasn't that Indigo Egg? Yeah. Was or it Indigo? Or was it, that, yeah, there was that, something, something like that, yeah, that they have. They have something to I think, yeah, there's a lot of companies out there trying to proof this out and how you do it. That would, I mean, think of most of our resistant herbicides are post-emerge application herbicides where the weeds get too big. So right. I think a technology like this would be good too, is I'm assuming you would almost concentrate that herbicide more because you're not, a, like when you, when you spray around buildings, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of usually, you're not, you don't have a certain rate. You're just like yeah, you're winging spraying. out a spray where this way too, where you're not applying it a blanket across the whole field. You're just spot spraying where the weed is. You're probably going to be able to concentrate that herbicide more. Carry a little less water anyway. All right. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. So, since we were talking about and tasting different ice cream products, ice cream, custard, soft serve, thought it'd be interesting to cover that a little bit this week. So the first official account of ice cream in the New World comes from a letter written in 1744 by a guest of Maryland Governor William Bladen. The first advertisement for ice cream in this country appeared in the New York Gazette on May 12, 1777 when confectioner Philip Lindsay announced that ice cream was available almost every day. (laughs) And now we can get it whenever, wherever. Records kept by Chatham Street, New York merchant show that President George Washington spent approximately $200 for ice cream during the summer of 1790. That's probably a lot of money back then. Back then, that's a lot, yeah. And it, is that 200, 200 an hour dollars? All summer on ice cream. Yeah, I don't know. Or is that total? I thought it was like just to get one special like ice cream cone or something. No, they just kept his tab up at that's the funny. Yeah. shop. I'll be back. Just keep my I, tab. I hope it wasn't just one ice cream. Thing. Yeah. That would be... I hope it tasted really good if that was the case. Um, inventory records of Mount Vernon taken after Washington's death revealed two pewter ice cream pots, so apparently he must have really liked ice cream. President Thomas Jefferson was said to have a favorite 18-step recipe for an ice cream delicacy that resembled a modern-day baked Alaska. And what's, what's a baked Alaska? It's like ice cream inside of like a... It's a thing that they do in restaurants. I've heard of it. I've never had it. They light it on fire and they bring it to your table. Yeah, I've never actually had it. But So do you you want to know the inflation converter? What is... Yeah, what's $200? I just Googled inflation converter and it only goes back to 1913. It doesn't go... What did you say? 1790? 
So $200 in 1913 is $5,400 today. Holy buckets. Whew. That's so ice it's, it's probably like 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> ice cream. Okay, I can't. I don't do that in the summer. That's <laughs> crazy. So until 1800, ice cream remained a rare and exotic dessert enjoyed mostly by the elite, but around 1800, insulated ice houses were invented, meaning manufacturing ice cream became an industry pioneered in 1851 by Baltimore milk dealer named Jacob Fusel. Like other American industries, ice cream production increased because of technological innovation, including steam power, mechanical refrigeration, the homogenizer, electric powder, power and motors, packing machines, and new freezing processes in equipment. Today, total frozen dairy annual production in the United States is more than 1.6 billion gallons. It's a lot of ice cream. But it's so good. As we as we found out a few minutes ago. Well, most of it's really good. Yes. <laughs> the stuff that isn't actually cream ice cream. The so almond juice milk. Yeah. <sighs> All right. If you like what you're hearing out there, please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. Tell them how to subscribe. And if they ask what is a podcast, tell them they can download it on their Apple phone. It's already there. It's just called Apple Podcasts. And on Android, you got to download a player called Podbean Player FM, Podcast, CastBox, there's all kinds of other ones, Podcast Attic. So there's different apps they can download, and there they can search Tilt Talk Radio to find us. And if you're on your computer or smartphone browser, you can go to tiltthegg.com slash podcast. And Matt, where can they follow us? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. All right, let's wrap her all up with some current events. So do some cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans for this week. Vermont dairy farmer, and I may butcher this name and I apologize. L or Ellie Purier St. Pierre punches her ticket to the Summer Olympics. She's a Vermont dairy farmer turned world renowned track star and has punched her ticket to compete in the 2021 Olympic Games hosted in Tokyo. She took first place in the final 1,500-meter race, running a time of 3.58.03. This, bro- this time broke a 32-year-old Olympic trials record for the event, which previously sat at 3.58.92. So this marks the first time the farm girl fueled by milk will compete in the Olympics. Over the past 16 months, she has two separate records in, uh, or set two separate records on the track, Montgomery, Vermont native, shattered a 37-year-old record for the fastest U.S. women's indoor mile in February of 2020, and followed by breaking the two-mile record earlier this year. So it's pretty cool. She came from a 40-cow dairy, participated in 4-H, and now she's going to the Olympics. Fueled by chocolate milk. Is that blood doping? Can you drink that? Chocolate milk? Yeah. It's so good, it probably should be. Yeah. I don't think if you like took chocolate milk intravenously, <laughs> it would have the same effect as, as blood doping. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it'd have any. Well, it'd have one effect. It would. I think it would definitely affect you. Not good. It'd have one effect, and then it would be over. And you couldn't do it again. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Farm girl going to the Olympics, and of course, our that's corny, as we alluded to earlier. Hailstorms cut portions of Iowa's corn yield potential by 10 to 15%, according to an agronomist in that neck of the woods. 
So Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri are suffering from last week's hailstorms that ripped through the the states. It was half inch to one and three quarter inch size hail making its way across the eastern edge of Nebraska, northern Missouri, and Iowa. So three to four mile wide stretch from Sioux City to Centerville, Iowa got nailed. And in central Iowa, dime to quarter size hail completely covered highways. Hmm. And if you Google pictures of that, that's some pretty sad looking plants. For a for visual reference, if you can imagine a field of mare's tail that's been sprayed with dicamba. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what the corn looks that's like. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> it's pretty good, actually. Because, yeah, the stems are still upright, but the leaves, yeah, the leaves are, are all just kind of laying down. Just kind of hanging, <laughs> yeah. Last year, their corn got flattened. This year, it got shredded. I, I still can never believe how hail damaged, like, especially this young, this is probably waist-high corn, I'm guessing, before. Not even. Maybe knee. Yeah, it, it just seems to like grow out of it so much more than you, like you come like days after and you're like, Oh my God, this field's done. done. And the insurance adjuster is like, yeah, we don't come for two weeks when you're like, why that because they're right because yeah. you shouldn't look at it for two weeks. Cause in they, two weeks it looks way better. And they have more patience than us. apparently. <laughs> right. Yeah. V9 to V11 growth stage. So yeah. On the mm. corn Oof. and their soybeans were V8 to V9. The real thing is, is at this stage you can't, if the cobs are out and you get it, that's... That's bad, yeah. That's when you bruise cobs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or, if, you know, even during pollination, that's really not not ideal scenario. But this is, like you say, this they kind of grow out of it. Yeah, it looks rough now, but hopefully it'll look a little better in a couple of weeks. So, all right. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked a little bit about water management on field crops, looked at some new technology for spraying in our spotlight, Ag History Minute, talked about the history of ice cream, and Cool Beans was a Vermont dairy farmer headed to the Olympics, that's corny, was the storm damage suffered in Iowa for the the second year in a row of just some bad weather down there. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.